I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus it's time for cover two broncos just a couple dudes breaking down scheme film and the numbers now your hosts joe rowles and jeff essery Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I'm Joe Rowles. And I'm Jeff Essery. So this is kind of almost like an emergency pod in a way because Juwan James opted out for the 2020 season, which means that the Broncos' right tackle situation now looks pretty shaky. Uh, So thanks for listening. Uh, If you have any other questions about Juwan James that we don't cover today, uh, be sure to hit us up at Cover Two Broncos at Jeffrey Essery or at Joro underscore NFL. We will be happy to look at it again. Uh, but yeah, Juwan James opted out. Jeff, what now? Yeah, I think um, Mike Cliss may have jinxed Denver the way he kept tweeting about all these tests and nobody's nobody's on the NFI or on the um, COVID list. All, you know, nobody's opted out yet. And uh, of course I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, we felt like we were going to get through unscathed potentially after you seeing all the starters and everything opting out. I mean, the Patriots, heck, they got blasted with, I think eight different players opted out and a couple of starters. I mean, one, it was their right tackle. that was, it was, um, I think Marcus Cannon opted out and Hightower and, so I really did think Denver was going to get through unscathed from a starter perspective. But the the good news is, is Denver's been in this situation before since they played all of last year with James. So they really 
um, it's kind of like nothing, nothing has really changed from last year. It's not like he was here last year and then he got taken away. The scariest part about Juwan James opting out is the fact that Elijah Wilkinson just came back off of the pup list now today uh, because he was recovering from a foot injury and had a procedure to clean up his, his I think it's his left foot. Uh, and he's expected to be able to play when the Broncos don pads. But that means his health is still kind of a question mark. Um, and then behind him, the Broncos tackle situation is kind of scary anyway. And I don't think Denver is necessarily unique in the, the, the fact that you lose a tackle and all of a sudden your, your tackle situation looks rather, rather dire. So at least they have Wilkinson, but I would say right now, like I'm concerned. I was already concerned about tackle, but I'm now definitely concerned about tackle. Yeah. It's interesting that, I mean, Denver is in a bit of a, um, they're probably in one of the better situations in the league from not necessarily from like a skill position or, or like skill standpoint on the tackles, but having a guy that played the entire, pretty much mm-hmm. the entire last season waiting in the wings as your third like swing tackle guy to be able to step up and really nothing like have your, have a starter go down and nothing's changed really from last year's lineup because you had that starter go down last year too. And so at least like there's that's the positive side is that Denver has a guy that played all of last year to your point on his health. That's an interesting one because Denver immediately re- like removed him from the pup list. So it kind of signals to me that maybe they were just stashing him on there. I mean, letting him kind of ride it out and get fully, fully healthy since they weren't going to rely on him, in, on him to start. So at least it, it feels like he should be able to, hopefully go pretty soon and hopefully it's not a long-term thing with his health or it's not a recurring thing and that he's fully healthy. But yeah, behind that, it gets pretty, it gets pretty shaky. And I talked about this on Twitter today with Ryan Edwards. Um, and, and I use the word, I think freaking out or the phrase freaking out that Denver should be. And, and that was probably too strong of a term because, like I just mentioned, they do have a guy that has played a lot of significant snaps. And so it's not like they're throwing a backup in there to actually start um, because Elijah Wilkinson was the starter all of last year. But behind that, everybody in the league is kind of in the same boat in terms of tackle depth. Um And it's just not good. I mean, the, a lot of the guys that people are trotting out there as starters aren't super good and I mean we talked about this a lot over the last couple months Elijah Wilkinson has a lot of room to grow and that's not even talking about Garrett Bowles when Garrett Bowles is your best tackle that's where it becomes an issue like I thought the biggest thing the biggest question mark on our offensive line was going to be Garrett Bowles which is a lot better situation than Garrett's the guy you're counting on and the right tackle situation is the one where you need to provide help particularly with how much Shermer does um you know, 11 personnel, empty concepts, spreading it out, you're potentially leaving your tackles on an island even more. And so it is a little worrisome for the Broncos, particularly given how young the offense is and all the other hurdles they were going to have to climb. This just throws another one into it. The thing with Garrett Bowles being the left tackle and being the best tackle, what makes it so scary is what I was hoping for with Juwan James coming back Juwan James is good enough when healthy and when he was playing, based on the tape I've seen of his 2018, and then even when he played in 2019, 
he's good enough that you can give extra protection to that left tackle spot, which would have helped the entire line perform better. Back when Wilkinson was expected to compete for the starting left tackle job, I went back over his tape to see how likely I thought that really was. And I think Elijah Wilkinson's technique is better than Garrett Bowles on a, from a snap to snap basis. He's more consistent, especially on vertical sets. Uh, he does a better job getting depth. His handwork is a little bit more reliable. The problem Wilkinson has is Wilkinson's feet are just not, he's just not as quick. And he's just going to have issues in space against faster athletes. And that really shows up when opposing defenses put their edge rusher on a, like a wide nine alignment because it forces him to get depth, but also be able to protect the inside. I think getting Glasgow as a right guard will help with some of that. But I also think that it's just going to be an issue. And I think it's something that Pat Shermer is going to have to try and protect with play calling. The good news is Pat Shermer's had bad tackle situations in the past. So it's not like he's completely, you know, new to this. Uh, last year's right tackle for the Giants was Mike Remmers, who is now a backup swing lineman for the Chiefs. So he he was okay. But Broncos fans probably remember Mike Remmers from being abused by Von Miller in the Super Bowl. I think you can survive Wilkinson at right tackle. I just don't think it's going to be ideal. Yeah, and I think Eric Flowers, was he still playing when Shermer was over there at the Giants, or had they moved on from Flowers yet? They moved on from Flowers in 2018 to get Remmers in 2019. Okay. But yeah, the Giants, to your point, they haven't had good mm-hmm. a good tackle situation. And so, um, yeah, it is going to be interesting that – it's not, it's certainly not ideal. And um, I mean, it's football, right? So it's not always ideal, but this is before the pads even come on. Um, and certainly just to say this at the outset, res- totally respect Jawan James and his decision yeah. and doing what's best for him and good for him to be in a financial position where he can do that, where a lot, you know, a lot of these guys maybe can't do that. Like good for him to be able to do what he thinks right for him and his family. So Nothing against Juwan James, and I know Same. there will be a lot of fans on Twitter and in the comments section calling him a bad signing and all of this stuff. Look, you know, stuff happens. Um, he was the best tackle available in free agency when Denver really needed a tackle, and so mm-hmm. it made. I think it still, looking back even now with hindsight, still made sense to sign him then hoping that you would get good seasons out of him. You know, it was a freak injury that happened when somebody fell into his knee. Uh, last year when he started and then this year obviously what's happened and so um yeah i'm not faulting john elway for this i'm not faulting juan james for this either it it just is what it is i completely understand why juan james did what he did and honestly if i was in his situation i think i would have been probably tempted to do the same thing because again this this season is going to be who knows and neither one of us are rooting against this season but Juwan James, more than a lot of players, had every reason to opt out of this season. Bob Morris for Mile High Report or Mile High Huddle actually t- touched on the fact that by opting out, uh, Juwan James is pushing guaranteed money into next year, and he's actually protecting himself against the season being canceled. So if the 2020 NFL season is canceled, the the money that he would be guaranteed on his contract, the it's like ten million dollars, he wouldn't get that. It would just be canceled out. Now it's being pushed into next year. And again, from a Broncos perspective, that means that Denver can't cut him next year. Let's uh, talk about that because yeah. – uh, um, so 
we can let's chat capital implications because I'm not totally clear on this and I haven't seen the post yeah. from Bob, but okay. my understanding of the way the cap implications work is that any any signing bonus or any type of guaranteed money stays on the cap, right? So for for Denver's cap this year, um, his cap hit would have been 13 million, three of it being a prorated signing bonus from when they signed him, 10 million base salary. So Denver hangs on to the 3 million base salary or 3 million signing bonus. Uh, for this year in cap, and 10 million of it comes off the books. So Denver saves yes. 10 million with Juwan James's opt out. Yes. What I don't understand, what I'm not clear on, and maybe you can help me on this, is what happens to the the 10. I know it goes into 2021, but is Denver? I hadn't seen anything that those get locked in as a guarantee that they're that they have to pay that. So he could theoretically be cut prior to that like that would just be his new base salary in 2021 or does that actually become guaranteed now for 2021 that's what i haven't seen from like the league or anything clear so on is, that i'm 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 gonna basically read what bob wrote about it right before we started to come on and i saw this post the broncos get 9.85 million dollars in cap relief for this year because juan james does get uh essentially it's almost like a loan against his future earnings he gets a little bit for this year, which I think is 150000 Yeah, 150 k um, Yep. And that's different than Kyle Pecco, who opted out, and he's considered high risk. He gets a little bit more. Uh, but Juwan James gets $1.5. Um, and then $3 million of his signing bonus was prorated. And then uh, going into next year, his cap charge, his 2021 cap charge, actually drops from $14 million to 12.85. So yep. this year, Denver gets 9.85 in cap relief, and they save cash, obviously. They are locked into James for 2021. It'll cost a little bit less, but now essentially you're pushing all the rest of his contract down a year. The final year of the deal now moves to 2023 with a $2 million roster bonus due March 17th and an $11 million base salary. However, his prorated signing bonus does come off the books. So the cap charge would be only 13 million with no dead money. So Denver actually would be able to still move on from him after 2021. Um, with no dead money. Yeah. So Jason Fitzgerald, I'm just looking at Jason Fitzgerald's piece um, on this. He he put one out just re- just today, so it's probably around the same time um, as Bob did. So it's showing that the the 9.85 is guaranteed um, guaranteed salary for next year. So pretty much locking in a spot from the roster, and then. Yeah, so I guess it does just kick it down the road. Um, it essentially presses pause on this year, and then you you extend your contract in an additional year. Um, and, and what Bob was saying in his piece is how it makes sense for a player like Jawan James or C.J. Mosley for the Jets. It would make sense for them to opt out this year from a financial standpoint because if the season's canceled, they lose that money. But now that it's pushed down – like the 2021 season is probably not going to be at risk to be canceled like the 2020 season is. So by pushing it down, they're pretty much guaranteed to get that money somehow. Um, that was my understanding when I read it. Yeah. We may have to, we may have to reach out to Jason and clarify because he's also talking about um, the, the cap room that the team will gain. And he's calling it 13, which is inaccurate from what I've seen based on, signing bonuses and things like that. So maybe um, we'll, we'll, we'll clarify some details on that. So thanks for hanging with us while we did this live, the, the new rules and how it affects contracts. But that, so 
that's kind of the the base understanding of the cap implications of it for Jawan James. So Denver does have some room to play with. So they'll have around $10 million to play with. If they wanted to try to go sign somebody, the issue is there's not really anybody out there, one worth 10 million, but even just worth signing in my opinion. And, and this is something you and I were talking to Ryan Edwards about this earlier today, and you made a really great point. Uh, Ryan was talking about how did everybody actually expect Juwan James to play 16 games this year? And I think you mentioned that by missing, like by not taking a tackle in the offseason, Denver wasn't necessarily saying they expect him to play all 16, but that they were comfortable enough with the tackle situation that they didn't feel it so pressing they needed to, to draft a guy. Uh, but at the same time, and you mentioned this, anybody who loses a tackle, because tackle depth in the league is so porous, all of a sudden you're kind of worried. And my point, I think after I saw that, because you made me think about it, the fact that these tackles that are still in the market are still in the market, even though most teams have pretty shaky tackle situations, to me, that's kind of a damning sign for a lot of them. Uh, and then I looked at the names available, and there's a couple guys that you could talk yourself into, but also you can very easily talk yourself out of. Um, for example, Jared Valdir is probably the most popular name just because he was a Bronco before. He played two games last year after he, he signed with the Patriots then retired, and then he came back out of retirement. The Patriots cut him. He signed with the Packers, and he played two games for the Packers. Played okay from like all everything I've seen, but Jared Valdir has not played more than 13 games in a season since 2015, which that's concerning. Uh, Donald uh, Penn is the name that I kind of think is interesting because Donald Penn played left tackle and right tackle over his career, and he's been pretty decent at left tackle for parts of it. He played in place of Trent Williams last year for Washington. The problem with Donald Penn is Donald Penn is 37 years old, so the wheels could fall off at basically any point. And if you're asking him to play right tackle, he definitely has played more left tackle than right tackle. I think that's the issue with Cordy Glenn. Cordy Glenn's always been a left tackle, so signing him right now and asking him to play right tackle is kind of asking for trouble, even before you think of like actual scheme fit. And I do wonder about that as well because Cordy Glenn is he's a big boy, so I don't necessarily know if he fits what the Broncos want to do. Uh and then the other, the other one, and this is a popular. This is something Andrew Mason mentioned is uh, Demar Dotson, who played for the Bucks. And then he wrote about it in Denver, but he mentioned a quote by uh, Bruce Arians, and I think it's kind of worth repeating what he said, just because I think this is something to think about. Uh, so Bruce Arians said this to Joe Bucks fan last year. He can still pass block. Can he get better in the running game? Yeah, but you know sometimes you're asking a guy and he just physically can't do something. And Bruce Arians goes on to talk about like how you deal with that. But if DeMar Dotson is that shaky as a run blocker, I don't know necessarily if he's a great fit for what the Broncos want to do because Denver, every indication is Denver wants to pull their guards quite a bit this year. That was a, that was a significant part of the offense last year with Dalton Reisner. Signing Graham Glasgow is a sign that they're looking to do that with both guards one way or the other. Having a tackle that can't run block to kind of hold his own when you're sending a guard out into space, that seems like an issue. Because um, that is one thing that I think Elijah Wilkinson does a pretty good job at. Um, Wilkinson has troubles with speed, but when he down blocks, Elijah Wilkinson actually looks like a decent guard. Yeah. Um, and that's essentially what you're doing when you're pulling a guard out behind him. So I think he can do that. Yeah, another name too that has been thrown out as Jordan Mills um, and talking about it on Twitter earlier today, I think Benjamin Albright um, 
essentially, uh, he hasn't said this, but he liked a tweet related to confirming essentially that Denver, I think, was interested in Jordan Mills at some point. So Jordan Mills was, um, he played for the Bills in 2018 and then was signed to a one-year deal with, um, oh, help me, help my memory, Joe. Um, Miami. 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 And then didn't make it through camp, or he didn't make the final roster. He was released and then got picked up on essentially the same contract um, or a, a lower deal, but a one-year, just a one-year kind of prove-it deal with Arizona. And then hurt his knee and was put on IR. They designated him to return, and he um, ended up never coming back. I think they pulled him off IR, but he never played. So whether that was injury related or performance related, so Mills is a guy who's he's obviously bounced around a lot. Um, he's 29 years old. He's not the best option, but he's one of the younger options at least out on the market. And apparently Denver did have some interest in him. Um, I don't know when that was or what kind of interest that was. If it was anything more of just kind of kicking the tires from a, hey, we'll bring him in for depth. So that's a name to watch potentially too. But yeah, to your point, there's just not, I mean, if all of these guys are still out there and I mean, I haven't seen anything. I've kind of followed loosely the New England Patriots with Marcus Cannon. I haven't seen anything about them bringing a guy in. And so if they're not bringing a guy in to replace their right tackle, I think they have an even worse situation than Denver. They have a guy that they drafted in the third round last year who's been out with a quad injury who could potentially step up, and there's not there's maybe one other guy on their roster. So I don't know what they're going to do at tackle. But they haven't really chased anybody either. Maybe they're waiting to, to see, but you would think that if they were going to sign somebody, they would have done it already. So it's not a really a ringing endorsement if a team that – lost their starting right tackle, hasn't um, kicked the tires on any of these guys out on the market yet. And so I I asked Twitter about four or five hours ago if they hope that, like Broncos country, if they hope that Denver would potentially look to trade for a right tackle. And out of a th- uh, 1,300 people, 54% voted yes. I know the popular name, uh, predominantly orange, uh, Sarah Bettinger did float Riley Reif as a potential option. He plays for the Vikings. And the reasoning for this is because the Vikings drafted Ezra Cleveland. And because of that, and then because of Riley Reif's uh, expiring contract, potentially they could see about floating him in a trade deal. The problem and, I and see, Reif, Just a further connection to Reif yeah. played under Shermer yep. back in the day, correct? Yes. Um, in Pittsburgh, right? Was it in Pittsburgh? Yeah, uh, no, it was, it was when Sherman was with the Vikings, I believe. Uh, because Riley Reif... Uh, Riley oh, I'm Reif thinking Munchak. Played, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's played, uh, he's played both guard and tackle. So, like, I can see why you would potentially want to get him. The problem becomes... There, there's a bunch of different problems with that. And this is... The first problem is the Vikings are going through the same no preseason that the Broncos are going through. So I don't see why they would be inclined to rush Ezra Cleveland into a starting lineup without knowing what he can do in live action. Yeah. When they already have Rife on their under contract, because they're in a win now situation, like even more so than Denver. Denver's not like I hope Denver makes the playoffs. Like all this is, you know, again, everything we say, I hope Denver wins every single game. But Denver's situation is like they're hoping to become a playoff contender. The Vikings are basically like their Super Bowl window is right now. Like it does not make sense for them to punt on a player unless they absolutely have to. And I know they were in caps, like cap problems before, 
but they cut their secondary in part because they were trying to get back under the cap. They don't have to necessarily do that this year. If they, if they get rid of Rife, like that money they get, they could float into next year, but it doesn't help them this year because the yeah. same issue that we just said, like they're not going to be able to replace that guy. Yeah. And um, that's a good point. I don't point think they're going to get rid of it. Yeah. That's a great point. I think I'm just giving away draft capital too. And obviously if it, if it's a lower round pick or a mid round pick, it becomes a little bit more palatable, but even giving away anything of any importance, like uh, let's say over, over a fourth, um, maybe like fifth and down, I'd be comfortable with, but if you're giving, if you're giving up a day two pick, I'm going to be ticked. Yeah. Because to your point, Denver isn't in win now mode. Like they still have an offense that, is all full of brand new players. They it's a brand new scheme. Drew Locke's brand new, coming off just five games last year. So it, they're not going to hit the ground running on offense anyway. It's not saying that you want to try to do everything you can to put them in a good situation, like throwing um, a subpar tackle situation out there just muddies the waters even more. But you're not going to go light the league on fire as much as we want to see these guys succeed. The reality of it is, and John Elway alluded to this in his press conference. I mean, he said the, the expectations are they've lowered a little bit or they've kind of tempered their expectations for the offense. And they're going to have to rely on the defense, particularly early on because of the amount of like no preseason reps, no like lower practice time reps, and just not a lot of chemistry between these guys. So it's not like they're a right tackle away from becoming this supercharged offense. So go sign, signing a one-year rental so that he can maybe patch patchwork the line a little bit while you're building the offense anyway, to me, doesn't really fit. You might as well just roll with a guy that you can potentially develop in the future or just, just keep him as a placeholder until you draft a guy next year. And, and, I agree with everything you just said. And then you add in the, the extra part of like COVID adds an extra level of volatility to week to week roster management this year anyway. So like the worst possible thing the Broncos could do is go out and trade like a second round pick to get Riley Rife. And then two weeks later, he comes down with COVID and you miss him for two or three weeks. Anyway, I don't think this is the year you go all in no matter what, like basically ride it out, see what happens, hope for the best but play with what you got. And I also think, and I've, I've been kind of alluding to this on Twitter for the last two weeks. Now the Broncos are now underneath the 80 roster cap. I think from, from just a roster management perspective, I think it makes sense to bring in players right now to learn the system because once the season starts, you're not going to be able to bring in free agents like you are on a normal year, because basically that guy has been out on the street. Like you're going to have to quarantine him and get, have him go through tests. So, if somebody gets sick and you're suddenly replacing a guy on Thursday, you're not getting the replacement free agent until after that week. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. Ch -ch 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 -chumba. 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So it makes sense that everybody you can get into camp right now to learn the system as much as you can. If you have to cut the roster back down, those players you cut are probably going to be the first players you call to bring in if there's an issue. Because yeah. at least they know the system already. You don't have to bring them in, teach them a system on basically while they're quarantining. And so yeah. I, I think trading for a guy that you don't or you already have him in your building, it just it adds even more complications to it. I just don't think it's worth it this year. Yeah. One name that I would float out there just as a and this would be a lower round pick that you would potentially give up is and I just put that put this out on Twitter is Chris Hubbard. Um, he played right tackle under Mike Munchak in Pittsburgh. I think it was 2018 that he played the most significant snaps. And I watched some of his tape in Cleveland, and he wasn't terrible in Cleveland. Um, he got paid a pretty big, pretty big money, um, but was actually just asked to take a pay cut this year when Cleveland went and upgraded his position and got Jack Conklin in free agency. So Cleveland clearly wasn't fully happy with Hubbard, and he struggled some. Um, but he is a Munchak guy. Munchak was the one who developed him and gave him more playing time in Pittsburgh that got him that big deal. So there's obviously a connection there. And he's just been relegated to really a swing tackle or backup spot. So maybe Cleveland is inclined to move on from him potentially. Uh, maybe they want to pull some of the, those dollars off their books. Or maybe Denver can just float enough of a pick where they, they feel it um, is a good deal. So that's one name to watch mainly just because of the connection and the fact that he's not starting. So no team, I, I don't see a team right now dumping one of their starters for Denver without, even if Denver offered a bevy of picks, which I don't think they're going to do. I don't think the team's going to let go of a starter to your point, Joe, in this type of situation, but a guy like Hubbard who potentially is going to get cut anyway um, in the future and just got relegated to a backup role maybe on the trade block potentially, or maybe Denver could prime away. A guy, a guy like that, I'd definitely be open to it. Again, for me, it's just, if you're giving up a day two pick with the uncertainty kind of floating over everything, I'm going to be pretty not super happy about it just because I think those picks are going to be more valuable than ever just because you don't know at all what this season's going to be like. Like trying to predict who's going to be in the playoffs this year is going to be harder than ever before just because Every go, every there's no bubble for any team, so everybody's going to be dealing with. We're watching it with baseball right now. Every team is going to have these situations happen, and the thing that makes uh, football more susceptible to this than even baseball is you have position groups. So let's say, and again, I'm not hoping for this by any means, but let's say Melvin Gordon ends up coming down with COVID tomorrow. Well, he's sitting in meeting rooms with Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman and the rest of the running backs. So for all you know, all of a sudden, every single one of your running backs is now at risk for COVID. Every single one of them is inactive. Like you're going to be more more likely to have that situation happen this year than ever before. Um, and if that happens to the wrong position group, like you're not going to win a game. Like, so I just don't want to mortgage the future based on that. But that's that's my preference. Yeah, I do. Think I, I think the hey, volatility. Sure. Yeah, I think the volatility of this season just throws everything, throws a wrench into everything that you wouldn't want to spend a, a large amount of picks. And particularly if you're going into a season next year where you're having some cap issues. Now we don't know exactly what Denver is going to be in a decent spot from a cap perspective. But if the cap is just um, lower than you expected in general, 
you're going to need all those picks potentially to fill out the rest of your roster if you're having to cut some guys down. Um, speaking of the rest of the roster, though, I do want to yeah. point to who Denver has currently because I think I think both of us would agree, based on what we've talked about right now, is that best best case scenario for Denver is to roll in the season with what they have, count on Mike Munchak to help hopefully fill in some of those gaps and develop some of these guys. One from Elijah Wilkinson, he stays healthy and is actually able to play. But then from a backup standpoint, hopefully he can develop some of the guys that they already have in the room. And yeah. one of those guys that I know one that you watched some and did a write up on from a roster review perspective was Calvin Anderson. Um, do you yeah. uh, give it, give us a quick rundown of, of Anderson. He's a guy that Denver has on the roster right now in that tackle room. So here's the thing with Calvin Anderson. Calvin Anderson played at Rice and then moved to Texas. He played for Texas for one season, and he has athletic tools that make you very intrigued. And those guys are the kind of guys you want to bring in to hopefully have a coach like Munchak develop. But until you really see him in action, he's still – he's a very, very large unknown. I'm very intrigued by him because, again, the athletic tools are the kind of things you can't coach. And it's the kind of stuff that separates a guy like Bowles from even Elijah Wilkinson. Like Elijah Wilkinson has better technique than Bowles. There's very little question in my mind. Elijah Wilkinson is always going to have athletic questions. Like you're not going to be able to coach that out of him. It's And it's one of those things that makes like a Mitchell Schwartz so special. Mitchell Schwartz is not a special athlete by any means. He's the best right tackle in football because he's so good at this technique. Um, so it is possible to be that guy. But when you have the athletic tools, it gives you kind of a step up and a much higher likelihood of panning out. So that's why I'm intrigued by Kelvin Anderson. Uh, beyond that, his Twitter game is just really good. It kind of keeps you like you can't forget about him. Um, <laughs> but again, he's a complete unknown. I, I can't, you can't count on him. That said, I hope he's the next. I know Jets fans are really mad when the Broncos scooped him up last year. So I definitely have hope that he could develop, but it's, it's the month, only Munchak knows type of thing. That said, I feel a lot better about Calvin Anderson than I do based on what I've seen from Jake Rogers. Yeah, I was just about to jump over to Jake Rogers because I just got done watching some more of his tape, and I'll have a pay, I'll have a piece coming out soon, doing a quick roster review of him. Um, and it, it was funny we were just talking about this before we jumped on to record. I watched the Lions tape. We're like, okay, this isn't this isn't terrible. He so um, Rogers actually started essentially two games last year when Elijah Wilkinson went down for that injury that he's um, we're still recovering from. And that was a couple snaps. It was probably two, two series into the lions game. I think and then yep. Jake Rogers yeah, it was came and coming off cold off the bench um, and Munchak didn't take it easy on him really because they went empty a lot in that lions game. And so he was, you know, forced into a lot of empty situations, but the lions pass rush was pretty, pretty paltry in general. And so um, I thought he looked pretty good from a technique perspective, for sure. Um, like his footwork was a lot cleaner than even like the Garrett Bowles, which that's not hard to do. And we've talked about that on the, the show. But um, you get into the Raiders game and his uh, his flaws really start to show up. And you kind of diagnosed it a little bit, Joe, when you talked about him last year when he first was signed. His arm length is an issue. I saw guys getting into his chest way too much. Mm -hmm. And some of that's a, a punch timing and a hand usage thing as well. But it's also his arm length is an issue. And he's just he's got to get stronger or like a stronger base at the point of attack. So he get yep. he gets pushed around 
lets guys into his chest too much and gets pushed around some. Even on the outside, when he, he's he's got a really nice vertical set, I thought. I, I thought he, he did he looked pretty good um, from a setting perspective. So I don't think he, I think he's got the the tools to be there in good position. Like he was maintaining half man most of the time in some of those vertical sets. It was just at the contact point that he was having trouble with for for some of those. And so um, and he was okay in the run game. I thought he moved pretty well, got to the second level, but he wasn't pushing anybody. Out. He wasn't really pushing anybody off the ball. I think Wilkinson's probably better than him in the run game. So Rogers is a guy that he's at least right now, based on his experience with Munchak, because he played with Munchak back in Pittsburgh, his experience with Munchak and his starting snaps last year. He's probably your third tackle right now. If we went into games, um, yeah. which is not, not great, even though he does have reps at right tackle, but I would be really worried if they had to rely on him to start at any point. Jake Rogers made Max Crosby look like a Hall of Famer. <laughs> I, if you never, if you had no context for the quality of Jake Rogers, and you just watched that game to study Max Crosby, you would think Max Crosby is going to be a Hall of Fame player. That's how badly Max Crosby abused Jake Rogers in that game. And that said, I expected Jake Rogers to have issues with Max Crosby because I think Max Crosby is going to be pretty good. Um, he's really, really athletic, and. Yeah, it's just that's just going to be an issue. What troubled me when I looked back at the Week 17 game today is Jake Rogers also had issues with number 91, who is uh, Benton Moyoya, and he also had trouble with uh, 95 for the Raiders last year, who was Deion Jordan. And Deion Jordan, I believe, is out of the league now. Um, and he just got overpowered by Deion Jordan. Deion Jordan's not a power player. Um, and, and you alluded to it. Like, Jake Rogers, his punch timing and his punch – he doesn't have a lot of power in his game and then his timing isn't great. And then the placement isn't great. So he doesn't really get control when he's trying to punch. So even if he has, if he's in the right position, the opponent still gets by him a lot. Um, he got away with a couple holds that just weren't called. Uh, I thought he got to the second level pretty well. He has the feet for it, but he doesn't really position to actually seal off at the second level. So even though he's there, he's not really doing a whole lot to help you. I think he's good on chip blocks. But I, I think I would be surprised if my bone check cannot find a better option at right tackle with a full preseason to look at the – I would be surprised. Like if Calvin Anderson can't beat out Jake Rogers this year, I'd be kind of surprised. And those are the two guys that I think are probably – if you have four tackles and Diver will probably – we'd have to look at the numbers of the roster to see if they would carry another one. Um, but – those are probably the two guys that are up at the top on my list for potentially being your third tackle. Um, Hunter Watts is a guy that he's probably going to go to the practice squad. He's a really toolsy. I mean, he's six eight, three twenty. Um, has has some good athletic tools, but he's an undrafted free agent guy that came in. Um, and, he's, and he's coming from Central Arkansas, so in a normal year, I'd say he's going to need a season. And right. he doesn't have he doesn't have the preseason at all, so he's jumping from Central Arkansas to the NFL. If if he's starting games this year, don't count on the Broncos moving the ball in offense. And that's not. And again, this is not to hate on Hunter Watts, but that's it's jumping from a pond to the ocean. Like that's it's a huge jump. Um, I know Quinn Bailey's been floated too. The thing with Quinn Bailey, and again, I haven't gone back over his college tape. Quinn Bailey played a grand total of six special team snaps in his NFL career to date. 
So again, like Kelvin Anderson, he's a complete unknown. Mike Munchak probably has an idea what he can do. Anybody telling you otherwise is either they studied his college tape at length and they're guessing or they're just guessing. Yeah. Also, aside, um, the deadline for opting out is now official. It's Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern. The NFL is set, is according to Adam Schefter. So a little, so little nug there for you. I know I asked Twitter, I think last week, who the Broncos could least afford to lose to an opt-out. Obviously, the answer is Drew Locke. But there's definitely some other players at other position groups that would definitely make me nervous if they opted out. And we got three more days to wonder about it. Cliffs or somebody was saying that there's been some – no, as John Elway said, there had been some rumblings from a couple of guys. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if if Juwan James is what was one of those guys that he was referencing because um, he was asked about that about players opting out and stuff. And obviously he said he, you know, supports guys doing what's best for them. And at that point, Denver had only had Kyle Pecco opt out. So they asked him, they asked him about that in his press conference. So he said he had heard some rumblings about some other players. So, I mean, if, unless he was just talking about Juwan James, there's potentially maybe another guy or two that is out there. Um, and, and we don't have any, I don't have any specific knowledge or anything like that. So it would be just speculative at this point, but from a, can't afford to lose them. I mean, I think anybody along the offensive line, even more so now, <laughs> you don't want to lose yeah. because of just given the depth issues and things like that. Um, if they lose, if they lose somebody in the secondary, I'm going to be pretty worried. Yeah, because I'm already, I'm already nervous about the secondary. If they lose, if they lose Boy uh, Boye, or if they lose Callahan to an opt out, I'm going to be very nervous about the secondary. Again, I I don't blame any player for opting out. Like, so I'm not I'm not saying it like that. Um, and I think, and again, I think at this point, you guys listening know this, like we're not rooting against the players by any means. And I'm not trying to root for the, again, I would rather, this is a whole thing. I'd rather Garrett Bowles prove me wrong and be like this hall of fame player this year. I don't expect that, but that said, I'd rather be wrong and him play really, really well. But at the same time, yeah. So like if, if, he, if a guy opts out, like kudos to him, I'm happy that they're able to do so. That said from a Broncos perspective. Yeah, I think. Like you said, the offensive line or the secondary, if either one of those groups loses another player to an opt-out, it becomes kind of a crisis. Yeah. And, and again, that's the NFL, right? Is yeah. you're, just, you're, you're just adding another layer of you always are going to go into a season dealing with injuries. Like no team goes through a season without losing somebody for some length of time. And so you've got to have it's, – it's that old cliche of the next man up and you've got to have guys that are ready to step in. Um, but I do think the, the safety position too, cause like drilling yeah. down even further oh, yeah. in the secondary, you mentioned corner, but the safety position, I don't really know who I would feel comfortable with stepping in for an extended period of time. If Kareem Jackson or, um, Justin Simmons went out, I mean, Trey Marshall is your next, he's the next guy up at safety, I, I think, th- right. Unless they I- move Michael OJ Moody over there. And after, after Marshall, it's an open question. These kind of questions are going to come up anyway because if a guy get every team ends up suffering injuries, like you just alluded to, and then again this year with the idea of like COVID, like it's very possible that the Broncos are going to be missing like significant starters again at some point. Kind of going back to what you're talking about when we were talking about the uh, the Vikings, though, I think Denver in a way is kind of in an ideal situation with this year. Like if you have to go through 2020 with COVID hanging over everything, better to be a team that's just trying to figure everything out and hope for the best. 
than be a team like this is the last year of the window for like the Vikings and the Saints. I yeah, would hate I was just about to throw the right Saints now. out there. Yeah. Or the Eagles. Like the Eagles are the same boat. Like the Eagles are in so much cap trouble after this season that if this season does not go as planned, the whole thing kind of feels like a failure. If things go off the rails for Denver this year, and again, I'm not hoping for this, but if things go off the rails for Denver this year, like let's say they lose like half their defense to COVID or injury, you still get to hopefully see a bunch of the young players play and develop. So it's still going to be exciting for, at least for me. And you just um, jump in next year. You pick yeah. up right where you were because that's this year is a, this year is a ramp up year. Regard, yeah. No matter how you look at it. I mean, maybe not on defense. If some of these guys end up moving on um, with some of the veteran players that you have, that's the only, the, the one issue is that right now on defense, it feels like they're, they're finally getting kind of stacked up a little bit aside from some of the question marks in the secondary. Um, but offensively specifically, it really is just a, it's a crap shoot of a year and you're probably not expecting to be in full like capacity. Let's say, let's take a couple preseasons worth of gelling for the offense. Probably by week four is when you would expect the offense to kind of start to come together and show some semblance of stuff. And so um, you're already, you already going to have question marks, particularly on the offensive side for Denver this year. Agreed. And that's, I mean, heck, we saw it with we saw it with um, the defense last year. They were, uh, I mean, they probably were in. Well, it was a new it was a new coaching staff on the offensive side too. But the defense, I mean, it wasn't until week four that they really solidified a lineup. And I mean, they had some some injury issues with Kareem Jackson and stuff, or, or he was um, he was forced to move around because of Callahan and stuff like that. But yeah, it wasn't until week five really that the defense hit their stride. Um, and got their starting lineup solidified and, and really, I think, got comfortable in the scheme too. And so you could potentially you're, – you're probably looking at that first quarter of the season for the offense as well. One thing that I think might help with that is the fact that Pat Shermer's offense – first of all, Pat Shermer is an, like, he's an experienced play caller, so I think he will adjust his offense to what his players are able to do at a level that Rich Gangarello did not. Um, I think the more I've watched the Rich Gangarello offense, that's probably my biggest complaint is too often last year, the Broncos tried really hard to make up for deficiencies of talent by getting cute in spots when they could have just run a different play that would have asked for less and given the players that were young a chance to prove themselves. I think Pat Shermer will do that more. And I think that will be good for this kind of offense this year anyway. Um, and then also, I think the fact that Pat Shermer does run a lot more, like he mixes in vertical shot plays, but the bread and butter of Pat Shermer's offense is kind of the ball control quick game. Uh, and I think that will help mitigate some of the issues of tackle. Yeah. And I think that'll probably be a, a theme of this year is trying to, trying to hide the tackles mm -hmm. as much as possible. And that was going to be true on the left side of the line anyway, I think, um, Great. Unless we're to your point, unless we're both proved wrong and Garrett Bowles makes that step this next year, but you, we're probably going to have to hide them anyway, hide him anyway. And so now it just becomes even more challenging to, to try to scheme around that a little bit. But again, this isn't unprecedented. It's not like, it's not like Denver lost a guy and they're putting in somebody who they haven't seen. Elijah Wilkinson played mm -hmm. 14 ish games last year. And, and they know what he can do. They've seen, and again, they, they played him last year and they have tape of him from 2018. So he's not unknown by any means. Um, he, 
he's proven enough that I can go back and watch his entire season and come away with enough snaps that I feel comfortable knowing who he is. Uh, like, I don't know that with Draymond Jones. Like, Draymond Jones only played, like, 280 snaps last year, which is, again, that's a that's a good bit for a rookie third-rounder. But he still has so many unknowns. Like, he hasn't played enough snaps that I think that opposing teams really were game-playing against him. Elijah Wilkinson, that's not the case. Like, he, he played a lot. So we know what he's going to be as long as he's healthy. Yeah, so. and I think... I think that's probably the best case scenario given all the options that we've explored is that Denver rolls into this next season with a healthy Elijah Wilkinson and Garrett Bowles on the outside, which is status quo from last year. And, you know, we'll see what happens. Hopefully um, Wilkinson's able to develop a little bit. Bowles maybe takes a little bit of a step under some of Munchak's coaching and the offense is more worried about installing the scheme and all of that as opposed to the tackles. We'll see though.